0: Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Morning. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is where we're going to be. Uh, from the age of 10 to 14, I lived in the northeastern part of Pennsylvania, right by Scranton. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough to live by uh, two different ski, uh, ski resorts uh, within, within where I lived. So 15 minutes, one was north of me, 15 minutes was, about, was east of me. And I want to tell you, in the 14 years I lived in Pennsylvania, I went to those ski resorts exactly zero times because I hate skiing. I, I, I'm the type of person that I, I just do not like things on my feet. I don't like roller skating. I don't like skateboarding. If it has Water skiing, anything that's on my feet that's going to make me move at a faster rate, uh-uh, not going to do it. And uh, but my wife, when my wife and I were in college there at in in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, at Clark Summit University, we uh, she's from Arizona, and there was a group of them that were going to go skiing at one of these ski resorts. And and uh, if you've never, I'm not sure how many of you have ever gone skiing, but they have different levels of ski resorts or ski ski slopes, I should say. And so there's there's slopes that are have these little green circles, and there's blue squares, and then there's black diamonds, and then there's double black diamonds, and A bunch of college kids and my wife from Arizona never never gone skiing before and they're like let's just start with the black diamond and um, again my wife never gone skiing before and again you remember how the frontal lobe is not developed until you're 25 (laughs) the person leading the group's like it's not that big a deal you know and uh, so my sister my and and uh, Liz my my girlfriend at the time went skiing and and um, you know it would let me just say by God's grace they're alive today but, but, you know, when you think about different slopes, most of the time you stay away from things that you've you got to build up to that. Well, you know, I'm hoping that uh, over the last couple months, we have built up our, our stamina, our understanding. Guys, we're getting into some black diamond and double black diamond passages of Scripture. Okay, over the next two months, we're going to be dealing with a lot of the prophetic uh, passages of Scripture in the book of Daniel. This is where, um, this th- these are passages that are, I'll, I'll just say it. They're not the easiest to preach because there's a lot of uh, details in apocalyptic literature. Is just, it's not the easiest. You know, Paul's letters are very, very simple. They're very straightforward. And some of these passages, uh, let's just say that they're controversial. There's a variety of different interpretations on some of these. And so as we get into these, know that we're going into some deep waters. And uh, I hope that you will stay with us and understand that this is, this is good for us. This is good for us to stretch us in our, in our thinking and our study and our understanding. And what I would encourage you to do is over the next few months, as we are getting ready to preach on these texts, you know, every single week, uh Bennett, our communications director, sends out an email about the passage that we'll be teaching on. What I would encourage you to do, not just this for this series, but in every series, read through that passage. Look it over, read it through so that you're familiar with it. Start having your understanding. Uh, do your own little study if you want to understand it. Because I think if the first time you hear it is here, sometimes it will create a lot of questions. And hopefully what we want to do is answer a lot of questions in our sermons. But here's the thing I want you to remember, okay? Because we're going again, from now until the middle of December, a lot of prophetic passages. What I want you to remember is two things. Number one, I want, I want us to prioritize what is clear. In all of these passages that we're going to be talking about, there are certain things that are very clear, and that is what we want to be focused on. And the second thing is this, be gracious with interpretive ch- variations. You know, I shared this a number of weeks ago when we went through Daniel chapter 2, and the reality is there's just going to be certain passages of Scripture that there's going to be some variation of interpretations. It doesn't mean we want people to you know, wave the flags of their own personal uh, theological stance on some of these things. Here's what I know. Uh, for over 2,000 years, there's been a variation of interpretation on what these things are, and they haven't figured it out yet. And I don't think we're going to figure it out in just with this series. I think we, we have inclinations. We can have, you know, I, I lean this way. But here's what I would say, and here's what I would hope all of us do, is that we hold on to things very, that are not core doctrine issues open-handedly and know that there are going to be some things that we never fully understand until Jesus comes back. Okay, so with that said, let's get into Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read the first part of Daniel chapter 7, and um, just the first 14 verses we're going to deal with this week, and then we'll deal with the other half of Daniel chapter 7 next week. So let's read verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first one was like a lion and had eagle, eagle's wings. Then as I looked its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A man and a mind of a man was given to it. And behold another beast, a second one like a bear, it, raised, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful uh, and, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. and had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was of fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came, from, came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened." And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a funky dream. And there's a lot of dreams, there's a lot of visions, and we're going to get into some, some vision passages here. You know, as we've been studying the book of Daniel, what we see is we've talked about this chiasm and how you know chapter one, you know, the introductory things, but chapter two mirrors chapter seven, chapter three mirrors chapter six, and chapter four mirrors chapter five. And we have went through some of these mirrors, and these these chiasms, these parallels that these texts are. And what we see here is this parallel of Daniel seven to Daniel chapter two, that just like there were four levels of of the statue that Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream on. Daniel now has a vision, and it's of four beasts, and these four beasts correlate to those four levels of the statue. But as you're reading this, and as I'm reading this, what our attention wants to gravitate towards is the beast's. It's what are these beasts? What do they represent? What do they stand for? And, and there's some really crazy language that's, that's surrounding them. One that even as Daniel, uh, verse 15, it says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was within me was anxious. You don't hear about these things. You don't see these visions from God and don't have the sense of, God, what's going on here? And it's important for, for Daniel to understand these things. But, but here's what I want to say. Next week, we're going to spend most of our time in the focusing on the beasts. But I think what we do sometimes is we get so caught up in a lot of the imagery, the prophetic imagery of the beasts, we forget the main point of the text here. And the main point of the text here in Daniel chapter 7 is not for you to focus on the beasts. The main point in Daniel chapter 7 is for you to focus on the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. It's God's rule and reign that matters most. That is what, that's, that's this vision in the middle of this vision from seeing the beasts to the interpretation of what the beasts are. You have in this little section between verses 9 and 14, this description of the ancient of days, of his throne, of his dominion, of his kingdom. And so this is what, this is why this is important. It's important because remember the, the the people that were receiving this 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 letter this uh, this prophetic uh, interpretation from Daniel they are they are exiles they are people that are Ju- Judeans in exile in Babylon or in right now they're in uh, you know in, in Babylon in Persia and what they are wanting to know is what's going to happen to the kingdom of God that we have received and one of the most important things that we must understand is that God's kingdom. And God's reign is forever. That is the thing that we need to hold on to in times like this. The reason why this is important is a couple different reasons. Number one, you and I have a tendency to want a crown on our own heads. We want to be in charge. We create a kingdom of our own making. We have a throne of our own existence and our own life that we wanna create, that we want a sense of our own sovereignty and our own control and our own power and our own authority. And that is there is an inclination inside of every single one of us since the Garden of Eden that wants our own kingdom to say, I wanna be in control. I wanna be in control of my life. I wanna be in control of my outcomes. And, and, and the other reason is that maybe we get our eyes off of the kingdom and the king that's in heaven, and we get our eyes and our hopes and our dreams and our trust into another earthly kingdom. And so that's why it is so important for us to focus in on the throne that the Ancient of Days is sitting on. It's important that in, in the midst of all of this chaos, all of these beasts and all of the things that they're doing in our time and in our world, that there is, there is a throne and there is a king and there is a kingdom that transcends all of it. It's so important that, that Daniel has, has this in the middle of his vision. Because for the rest of the chapters, chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, there's going to be a lot of these visions that deal with the, the, the details of these kingdoms that, that, are, that Daniel is going to be prophesying on. And for Daniel, all of this is future. Every single one of these prophecies is future. A lot of these prophecies for us are in the past. And so what we're trying to, as we're discerning which ones are in the past and which ones are in the future, these are all in the future for Daniel. These are all in the future for people who are receiving this. And this is important because the recipients who will receive this vision are are in a place where they are not in control. There's other kings in charge of them. There's other kingdoms that they're living within. And what they have to remember is there is a king and there is a kingdom that is greater than the one that I'm seeing with my own eyes, that I'm living within. And that's true for us today. We can get caught up into the kingdom of America. We can get caught up in the kingdom of our own making, but the reality is is we we will always be tempted to put our faith and our trust in a different throne. And that's what God is confronting us with today. So here's the main point. God is reigning. Not God was reigning. Not God will reign. No, God is reigning, and therefore I can trust in him. God is reigning, therefore I can trust in him. It's hard sometimes with all that's going on in our world to trust in God. It's hard to trust in God when you get a diagnosis from your health that's like it's not good. It's hard to trust in God when you're not when, when finances are uncertain. It's, it's hard to trust in God when you feel like, man, there's just a lot of chaos going on in our world. It's hard to trust in him. And what we've got to remember in the midst of no matter what we're going through, no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what the, what's happening in our world, there is a God who is reigning. And so there's four, four aspects of God's reign I want us to look at today. And the first one is this. God is reigning across all time. God is reigning across all time. As, as Jason mentioned this morning, that title that is given in verse 9, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That title, Ancient of Days, which is mentioned three times here in Daniel chapter 7, it's the only time in the entire scripture that it is used in the Bible. And it's a title that is used, and you're thinking, okay, why is it so important right here? Because again, what Daniel is wanting us to understand is there, all of the transitions that are happening in, in, the, in the world system and all the kingdoms that will rise and fall, there is someone who has been there before, he is present now, and he will be there in the future. That there is a reign that extends beyond, that transcends above every earthly kingdom. And so this is, this is hard for us because we are time-bound creatures. And for us... When we're living within kingdoms and when we're living, living with under, under authorities of different kinds, that many times we put our hopes and our dreams in those. For example, how many times, there's an election coming up in a few weeks. How many times, and that was so, it was so fun this past week, my son came home from, from college and he's 18 and he got to vote in his first election. We did early voting this week. It was so much fun to go with him. But how many times have you heard every two years, every four years, this is the most important election of your life. <laughs> Democracy is at stake. If you don't vote for the right person, it's all gonna crumble, right? And, and, and every, both sides, right and left, are telling you, man, if you don't elect us, it, it is all going to you know where. And for a lot of us, we believe this. We get our hopes and our dreams like, oh, no. What happens if they get elected? And and God is saying, there is a throne. There are thrones, but the ancient of days takes his seat. That's what matters most. That throne that he sits on, he sits on. And all the other thrones, they're going to come and go. It does, it, listen, it doesn't matter what happens a few weeks from you know, the Tuesday, election day. It, it might matter in the moment, but when, it, when you're talking about eternity, for eternity, these things we should not put our hope and our trust in. God's rule and God's reign extends far beyond any political power, any authority, and so we can trust in him. God reigns across all time. And that should give us a sense of rest, no matter who's in charge. That's number one. Number two, God is reigning over every person in every nation. God is reigning over every person in every nation. We see in this passage you know, that, that everyone is standing before God. Notice, notice you know... Verse 10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000. Now, now when, when the Bible is using this description, it's using it to say there are, it's everyone. It's, other translations say it's myriads. The whole idea is this vision is everyone is standing before God. And God is the one who de- determines when things happen and when things don't. Uh, for example, if you look at verses and uh, when it 's describing some of the other kingdoms right right for the bear in verse five it says in the middle it had three ribs in its mouth and in between its teeth, and it was told, "Arise, devour much flesh so that king in that kingdom was was commanded to do it had, had a role for and purpose for that kingdom look look in the in the third one uh in the second Second part of verse 6, And the beast had foreheads, and dominion was given to it. You see, in every other human kingdom, there's authority that is given. There's tasks that are done. And what does that come from? That comes from the ancient of days. Look at verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Who is the one who determines when those beasts die and when those beasts rise up and what those beasts do? Who does it? It's Yahweh. It's the Ancient of Days. He is the one that determines the borders. He is the one that determines the times and the seasons for what these earthly and human kingdoms are are around for. And so what does that mean for us? That means that there is a God who is going to establish things and He's going to He's going to put things forward and He's going to take things away. But when we try to put our hope and our dreams into our earthly kingdoms, you know, one of the greatest challenges that we have as Americans, and I and I believe this is with all my heart, one of the greatest challenges that we have is that for many of us, we have a greater love and we have a greater loyalty and we have a greater hope and we have a greater vision for what happens in our nation than the kingdom of God. And, and I know there is a balance that we need to be, I'm, I'm not against being patriotic, I'm not against loving our country, I'm not against being, being uh, you know, having a sense of value and gratitude that we belong to a nation, in my opinion, that is a great nation, but I'll tell you this, We can make our nation an idol in our hearts. And what Daniel is confronting here, as we're reading about these these beasts, we need to remember that no matter what the earthly beast is, no matter what the kingdom is, no no matter small k kingdom is, that's not where our hope lies. That the Ancient of Days is the one who determines the time is up, you've served your purpose, and now there's going to be another kingdom. That's hard for me to understand. That's hard. Listen, I understand. For some of us, that brings anxiety to us. Well, the, the, the uncertainty of the future of our nation. Does that give you anxiety? Yeah. It, we have to bat- but you know what? We should be able to have a greater hope no matter what happens. Because we know that even if things tend to go in a downward trajectory for our nation, there is a kingdom that when we are in Christ, we belong to that's greater than that. And as much as knowing that we have a God that, that, whose reign is across time, we have a God who's above it all, and that should give us a sense of hope. As much as we have rest in his, in, in, in his, in his transcendent time, well, we should also have this sense of hope that, you know what? Earthly things fade, but heavenly things will never fade. The heavenly kingdom of God will never fade. I was doing some reading and researching on, on generations and the, various, uh, the differences of v- generations that are in our world today, and, and there's a guy that just wrote this book on Generation Z. It's everyone that was born between 2001 and 2015, and the studying done by uh, this, this uh, sociologist talking about it, and he said, I can describe Generation Z, and these are you know, young people, in our, in our they're just about to enter into the workforce he said, these are, these are people that are, I can describe Gen Z in two terms, high anxiety, high autonomy. Everyone is stressed out, and they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And if you're a parent right now, you're like, that's it. <laughs> but as I was reading that anxiety piece, and they were saying, well, these are kids that grew up in the, in the wake of, of uh, the, the two towers falling, 9-11, these are the kids that went through the Great Recession. They're the kids that have gone through the uh, the pandemic and and all of those things. They've they've gone through some very uh, you know m- you know tense times in their life. And so they have. He said the average Gen Zer has a level of anxiety that people in the 1950s that were psychiatric patients in hospitals had. I was blown away. And there's always going to be a temptation for us. Listen, there's always going to be a temptation for you and I to look at what's happening and get to get anxious. The uncertainty of the markets, the uncertainty of global, you know, uh, you know, events happening. But we need to remember God is above it all. When we see here the things that God says, you know, again, their dominion was taken away. God is the one, he, the ancient of days is the one who's reigning and he's the one that says, your time's up, I have another king, and I have another kingdom for another purpose. And we need to be okay with that. No matter, what, no matter what, when God says, your time, America, is done, we need to be okay with that as much as we, because our value and our, our loyalty is ultimately to the kingdom of God. That's a test for us. So that, so that God is reigning over every person, and every nation, Number three, God is reigning against all evils. So not only is God reigning across all time, God is reigning over every person, every nation, and God is reigning against all evil. Look again in verse 10. It says, "...a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened." Now, there's a lot of imagery that's happening in this passage. There's imagery talking about this Ancient of Days, uh, these burning, fiery wheels. We see uh, direction or correlation between Ezekiel, some of his vision of of the throne room of God. We see correlation between the description of the Ancient of Days to Revelation chapter 1 and to the image of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. We see a lot of the imagery that's happening here, the throne room that we see in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. So there's a lot of hyperlinks in this passage. But this one right here, this last one, the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Is The other hyperlink to that phrase right there is in Revelation chapter 20, to the end of all days, the the final day of human history, when all people are standing before him and the books were opened. And these books as it describes in Revelation 20 are books of, of the events and the actions of every human being. And these are the books that will be opened, that will be read before the great right throne of judgment, by which Yahweh, God, pronounces judgment on every single human being for what they have done. And there's only one way to escape that judgment, and that is it because it says in Revelation 20, there is another book, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, You do not have to face the great white throne of judgment in Revelation 20. But what we see here is God standing up and he's saying, you know what, all of these kingdoms, because remember that we talked about God's over it all? Here's a question I have. Well, God, if you're over it all, why are all these people doing all these, like why aren't you doing something? There are kings and there are kingdoms and there are nations that are wicked. Today, they're doing wicked things. It's even happening in our own nation. And God, we want you to act. We want to see a God of justice. And and what we see here is God saying this, there's going to be times on this earth when judgment happens from God, but ultimately there will be ultimate justice and ultimate judgment that that we'll face before God in the future. The books were opened and judgment will be pronounced. This is something, listen, this is something that I think we don't talk enough about. I, I, when I grew up, you know, people always talked about, you know, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone. You better get right with God. There's a judgment coming. There's hell. There's fire. And so what I, have, what I have seen over the last 20 years is that we don't talk as much, or we rarely hear in churches anymore about the judgment of God and the justice of God. And I'm here to stand before you and say this, that the justice of God and the judgment of God is good. It's good. In fact, I would say this, the judgment of God and the justice of God is an outflow of his love. If you don't, a lot of times people think about the judgment of God, and they think it's kind of a, it's kind of like these 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 pushes and pulls. Like God sometimes is very judgmental, and He comes in wrath, and then sometimes God's really loving and gracious and kind. But there's like almost like there's these two natures within God, and sometimes His wrath and judgment win, you know, and then sometimes His love wins. That is a very false way of looking and understanding the character and nature of God. God is love. And because he loves, it leads to his justice. I want you to see this in Exodus chapter 34. We'll have the verses on the screen, but Exodus 34, one of the greatest passages of Scripture, when God is declaring to Moses on Mount Sinai who he is, right? And he declares his name before Moses, his character, his nature. And look what it says in verse 6 of 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 chapter thirty four. It says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by but who will by no means clear the guilty. You see, there's it's not This this judgment of God against sin and against evil and against iniquity is not in contradiction to his love and his mercy and his compassion. In fact, we know this. When when someone does something horrible and wicked and evil and they deserve justice, when they don't get justice, there's something inside of us that says, that's not right. When someone gets away with something, you know, going back to remember when when 9-11 happened, The spirit within our nation was, well, the people who did this, I hope we get them. And that that wasn't out of a sense of, you know, know, vengefulness. It was the sense of someone has done some wicked, evil things among our nation, killed thousands of people. And because we love life and because we love the people that have died, we want justice to be executed. That's the same way with God. God will execute justice now that's hard for us to see because for some of us we're saying all right God we're ready for you we're ready for you to come down with the hammer now and that doesn't mean that we're passive it doesn't mean that we're like well God's going to judge one day we just take our hands off everything that's not what it means but here's what I think we need to understand we can desire justice from God without demanding justice from God See, we can desire God, God, we want you to do something. God, we want you to act. We want you to move. But God in his sovereignty and in his power and his authority knows when and how to bring justice to this earth and to every person and to every kingdom. And our sense of justice will not be satisfied. And God's God's justice will not be satisfied until the books are opened. But until then, until then... We have a God who's merciful, a God who's kind, and who's a God who's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to not have to face that judgment. I'm giving you an opportunity to come to me, to put yourself, to come within, to, to make yourself a part of my kingdom and my family. And that, that's, what, that's what leads us to our next point. God is reigning across all time. God's reigning over every person and nation. God's reigning against all evil. And lastly, God is reigning today through Jesus. God is reigning today through Jesus. See, in, in spite of all this conversation about God ruling and reigning, and, you know, God's, God's in heaven on his throne that's so important for us to remember. God's going to bring justice and judgment to all evil in this world someday. And they, okay, that's good. But, but don't you want to see something here and now? Don't, isn't there something inside of you that says, yes, Ben, I, I understand that God is ruling and reigning, and, and one day all these kingdoms are going to fall, and, and one day... But here's the beautiful thing about God. God, as much as he, he is reigning in heaven today... The beautiful thing is he gives us an opportunity to display the kingdom of heaven and his kingdom on earth through us today, through Jesus. I want you to see this. Look at verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You see, as much as God is ruling and reigning in heaven, from the very beginning, I want you to understand this, from the very beginning, God has always wanted his presence and his kingdom mediated through us, his creation. That's why he created Adam and Eve. That's why he created this garden, this beautiful place of of where his order and design and his beauty would be on display. And he created man and woman to say, I want you to exercise dominion over creation. There's that word dominion again, right? This idea of dominion, I want you to rule over this. Not in a heavy-handed way, not in a harsh way, not in a harmful way, but in a good way in a way that that leads with love and mercy and compassion and goodness. But what happened? Adam said, and Eve said, no, we want to create our own kingdom. And because they wanted their own kingdom, there's been a battle between kingdoms ever since then. But God has always wanted a mediated kingdom. Adam and Eve broke that that covenant. So what what does God do? He keeps calling out to mankind, calling out to mankind, Eventually, he chooses Abraham and says, I want to bless all nations through you. And he starts pouring out his, his, his goodness and his blessing on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and even though they never deserved it and even though they did things that were against God and didn't necessarily partner with him in the best way, God kept being gracious and merciful And eventually that family became a nation and God takes this nation out of slavery, brings them to Mount Sinai and says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want to bless the world through you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. He makes this king and kingdom treaty with them. God has always been looking for people that will will represent him and partner with him to display his kingdom on this earth. But what we see here in this passage is that man keeps corrupting it. The reason why these people are receiving this vision is because they have taken the promise and the covenant of God and said, we don't want you as our king. We want to serve other kings. We want to serve other gods. And so in this moment, God gives a vision. And there's going to be someone who takes this kingdom. And it's the son of man. And this is going to be, and it literally means ben adam, which which is that word adam. It's another adam. A son of Adam, someone that is going to come and be a new Adam that will totally take the authority of God himself and the representation of God himself and establish a kingdom on this earth because you and I keep messing it up. And God is the one that, that does this. And this is manifested and this is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. We see this over and over again. What does Jesus do? The very first thing he does when he starts showing up on the scene, what does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I have a new way, I have a new thing I want you to ha- I give to you. And so he's, what does he, he starts teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. What's that about? It's about this is what this kingdom looks like. He starts healing people. What is that about? He's trying to say this is what the, the kingdom is supposed to, to be like, healing He starts embracing people and bringing people into the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is for all people that want to submit their lives to Jesus. And so Jesus is is slowly establishing, explaining what the kingdom of God is. And what happens? People don't like that because you know why? There's other kingdoms. There's other small K kingdoms and other people with, with, with other thrones and other authorities, both the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders that looked at Jesus and said, we don't want you to threaten our kingdom. And the same problem that has hap- happened 2,000 years ago is happening today. I want you to see something. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Because this phrase, behold. With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. This, in Matthew 26, I want you to see this, because it's at this moment, Jesus is in, Jesus has been arrested. Okay? Jesus has been arrested. He's on trial. They're trying to find a reason to, to either kill him or, or take him out, but, but here's, here's what happens. They're bringing accusations against Jesus. And uh, they keep asking a bunch of things. And look at verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What is that? That statement right there is Daniel chapter 7. He's quoting Daniel chapter 7 there. He's saying, this authority, this kingdom that you're talking about, yeah, that's coming, that's me. And look what happens, verse 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard now heard this blas- his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. If Jesus did not quote Daniel chapter 7 at his at his tribunal, I don't know if they would have killed him. But he is saying something. Yeah, I am I am I'm am equal to Yahweh. I am Yahweh and guess what? My kingdom is coming. And it's against your kingdom. And you either have to submit or you've you got to get out of the way. And that's why they killed Jesus. Because he was making the claim of to, to, to be equal to the ancient of days. Guys, this is one of the most profound statements of Jesus about his deity that is in all of Scripture. It's at that, this moment that they said, you're blaspheming, we must kill you. G- Jesus was, was saying something in this, in this text he was saying, I have come to establish a kingdom here and now. And why is that important for us today? It's important for us today because we have made Jesus, and we want Jesus to be a Savior that saves us from our sins. But Jesus, Jesus didn't come just to save sins. Jesus came to be the king over everything. And now we have the opportunity, a kingdom that is mediated not not necessarily only by us, but through Jesus. And when we submit ourselves to Jesus, now we can take his kingdom, his words, his teaching, his power, his authority, his love, his compassion, his goodness, and now we can take this kingdom in the streets. See, Jesus doesn't just rule and reign over the church services he's not just in charge in this room we need to start seeing the world differently we need to understand that jesus is ruling and reigning out there he's established his kingdom now it's our opportunity it's your mind opportunity to go out there and to represent him to stand before people who are part of a different king and a different kingdom, and say there is someone greater that you that that loves you, there is a greater kingdom to belong to that's greater than what the kingdom that you belong to. And this is the message that we take. This is a message that I believe that God is inviting us to. That this is and this is one of the hardest things in our life. That it's. Can I just say this? It's easier to accept Jesus as Savior than it is to yield our wills and our hearts to him as king. And Jesus will not be just a... I've said this before here. Jesus will not be a part-time Savior. He's, it's the whole package. And for those of us that say, I, I, wanna, I, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, it's taking Jesus in this vision of his dominion, his power, his power, his authority and saying it is ruling and reigning now yes it's the ancient of days is on the throne in heaven that is that is wonderful but we have a call and we have a mission now to take this kingdom that jesus has established out there will you do it or will you keep living for a kingdom of your own making or or tying your loyalty in your heart to another kingdom there's a reason why why out there it keeps getting darker and the reason why the world keeps getting darker is because those of us who belong to the kingdom of light and to the king of kings and to the lord of lords we hide our light and we hide our authority and we don't walk into these environments that are ruled by different kings and kingdoms And we don't walk into those places with the confidence and boldness that we belong to a greater king. We have authority through Jesus. We have power through Jesus. And we need to start living like it. A few questions and then we're done. Number one, whose kingdom are you a part of? Whose kingdom are you a part of? If you're sitting here this morning, and you're saying, yeah, I, I don't know, a lot of kingdom talk, Ben, a lot of, a lot of you know, what's going on here? Uh, let me just say this, that Jesus loves you. And Jesus wants to be your Lord and your Savior. And if you have not yielded your will and asked him to forgive you of your sins, you are part of a different kingdom. You're part of a different, you're part of a different family. But, but the invitation is open to all. And the invitation I wanna offer you this morning is to come to the kingdom of God. This kingdom that will never end, that will never fade. That is the kingdom that God wants, is inviting us into. That's the first question. What kingdom are you a part of? Number two, do you live as if God is reigning? Do you live as if God is reigning? Do you walk into those environments in your workplace? Do you walk into those environments in your, in your school, in your classrooms, in your classrooms? Do you have those conversations with your friends and you live with this constant understanding of the rule and reign of God now? Do you live like it? Then number three, do you pray as if God is reigning? Do you pray as if God, do we ask God to do things because we truly believe his power and his authority is real now? It's not just something in the future. Something that God has established through Jesus. Do we we live and pray as if God is reigning? That is the challenge I think we have today. And I believe if we start living and praying like that, the reality of this, of what this vision is in Daniel 7, we would see a difference in Lake Norman. I believe that with my whole heart. But that's our choice. And that's the opportunity that we have before us today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's a different king in a different kingdom. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is do we live like it? Are we a part of it? Do we pray like it? I hope as we leave here today we are challenged to to think and live differently than we have been. This changed Daniel. This this gave him a sense of hope that he needed to have in a moment of, of a lot of kingdom upheaval. And we can relate to that. What is God calling you to trust in this morning? Father, I pray right now as we come before you that God, we would remember who is sitting on the throne. That we would remember that you are reigning, Lord. And because, of, because you are reigning, we can trust in you. Increase our trust. Increase our hope. Increase our rest. Increase our vision. We love you so much. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing to our Lord.